you would please go to your copy of the scriptures today and turn with us over to a very familiar psalm, Psalm 139. On this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we would like to address the issue of that wonderful purity and sanctity of life that the Lord has given us. And as I mentioned in the prayer a few moments ago, crowned us with glory and honor. We see that in Psalm 8 and uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And it's an interesting way to think about humanity. Once again, as that psalm we read together a few moments ago, let's go back to verse 14, which is the text for this morning's message. The psalmist said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. So we pray together. And Lord, we do thank you for that knowledge. We praise you and thank you for the way that the natural creation communicates to every human being according to Romans chapter 1. So that that which may be known of God is manifest in them. The invisible things of God are seen from the creation of the world. In every created human being, we can see it. Lord, we're crying out to you today to help us understand your majestic glory in that respect and help us to understand the rebellion of mankind all around us that is suppressing or holding down that wonderful knowledge of God. Lord, we know that every single person that we witness to, every time we glorify God, that the person we are talking to knows in his or her inner man, in his very soul, knows that we are telling the truth and it resonates and yet lord they rise up against it and try to suppress it we are asking lord this day that you would then give us a compassion and pity for all those who are around us lord we do not desire to revile them or in any sense attack them but we must maintain the glory of god we must show who god is in all of this And in so doing and so understanding that we would praise you yet the more. Lord, would you move this messenger out of the way and cause that your spirit would have free reign in this service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to Psalm 139, it immediately raises some questions for us. Questions that must be answered in our own society right now. And the first one would be, why is human life so sacred You know this question has to be on the minds of many people as you read in the news, especially what is happening in the violence in many of our larger cities right now, how that people have become casually murderous. And we maintain, wait, no, human life is sacred, right? The question would be then, what makes it so? What is it that makes human life sacred? Why is every child in every womb so precious? For that matter, why is every human being of any age, why is every human life so precious? Why are murder and euthanasia, if you're not familiar with the term, it basically means putting to death those who are infirm or aged people, make decisions about 
people they see as worthless in society and seek to put them to death as they are doing in Canada right now with their assisted suicide? Why are murder, euthanasia, and abortion so very wrong? You see, we don't see that wrong until we see the glory of God. It is when we see God, our marvelous and wonderful creator in all his glory, when we see him, then we begin to understand the sinfulness of sin. We begin to understand the rebellion of mankind. So Psalm 139 declares the wonder of God's creative power in each and every human being, born and unborn. The next time you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States, I I encourage you to say out loud in whatever setting you're in, when you think about saying the Pledge of Allegiance, justice for all, say, both born and unborn, because that is a huge issue today in our American society. Praise the Lord for the recent Supreme Court decisions, and yet you have already seen that there are moves afoot to try to undermine that and do everything they can to even the slightest restriction they are totally against. So today what we need to do is understand the Lord better. You see why it's so important in this debate, in this discussion that's going on in our society. And our point from Psalm 139 verse 14 is that each one of us, each and every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made. When you use the word fearfully, how is that used in Scripture? And I noted there in your manuscript, and for those of you watching online, you can see it there in the manuscript on the sermons page, that, for instance, the same word is used in Psalm 33, verse 8. And there the expression is, let all the earth fear the Lord. And you can easily see that what that means is, let all the earth stand in awe of the Lord. David is saying the same thing about each and every human being. When he says we are fearfully made, what he's saying is that anyone who would really study the human body and the human being and our ability to do even what we're doing this morning with our interactions would inspire awe. And this is exactly, by the way, what is happening with a number of scientists right now. The more they study the human body, the more they realize what is actually here, it inspires awe. There are scientists who do not believe in creation, who are coming to set aside the belief in evolution because they're realizing it's mathematically impossible. They realize that even though there is the proposition upon billions and billions of years and billions and billions of variables, and if you Trust Stephen Hawking in a brief history of time. There's been billions and billions of universes. Big bang, big crunch, big bang, big crunch. And and that we are just one um, chance happening of all that. And you, have, you have mathematicians and scientists who are saying, no. I mean, that, that the complexity that we are looking at in our bodies and around us, that wouldn't even be possible then. And so they are faced with the question of, all right, how did we get here? Romans 11.36 answers that with, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. It's really the Lord. If you and I could learn to glorify the Lord in every situation, 
it would have a tremendous impact on those around us. We talked in a leadership conference about this yesterday. You may have wrestled with how to talk to someone about the Lord. You meet someone, your neighbor, and I mean, do you think, how do you, how do you wrestle with this when, when you're trying to talk to your neighbor? Do you, want to, do you just want to bring into the conversation, by the way, do you know you're a sinner? <laughs> how, do you think that, how do you think that will go if you say to them, by the way, you are a sinner? Well, what if we began with something else? What if we began with something that's much more natural to all of us, that all of us could enjoy, and that is glorifying God? Because anything that is God-honoring, any one of your, hab- your hobbies, any one of the things that you like reading about, anything that you enjoy as far as in the arts, any vocation you're enjoying, you, you could take the opportunity to say to that lost person around you, by the way, the Lord showed me this, or the Lord has really helped me to understand something. Do you understand how just bringing the Lord into the conversation, just bringing his glory and his majesty into the situation, that is so unusual, and it is so rare today that people are like, huh? You know, and it, and you, you introduce the knowledge of God into the situation. When you do that and you glorify the Lord, one of the things that happens is people begin to recognize their sinfulness much more easily. Isaiah 6 is probably the best example of that. So let's work through this and just kind of talk about this. What this passage is saying is that each human is a created being. It's a, it uses the word made, M-A-D-E. Each human is a created being fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if you're looking at your manuscripts today, you can see I've listed some of the illustrations in here. For instance, that skin you are in right now, the skin you are in. Here's what they tell us about our human bodies. 60% water, okay? Our our bodies are 60% water, okay? Question, how is that water kept in? I mean, not all of it is kept in, but how is that water kept in by your skin? And what it comes down to is one of the most remarkable characteristics of skin is it is waterproof. It is waterproof except for those little pores like your sweat pores where it releases moisture in order to keep your body at the right temperature. If it, if it were completely waterproof, we would all die, right? And so here's what they tell us about skin. They say about skin that depending on your size, it weighs between eight to nine pounds, and if it were spread out, it would cover about two square yards. This is a remarkable aspect of the creation. I mean, just stop to think about your skin. But then what we could do is we could go deeper. We could go under the skin. How about that breath that you breathe? The lungs of an adult hold no more than six liters of air. That's about three of those two-liter pop bottles. Uh, that, that's how much your lungs can contain. And even during COVID, it was amazing to see how many people were able to continue to thrive and survive, even though at times their lungs were compromised. It's estimated that you take about 20,000 breaths every day, and that's 7.3 million breaths per year. But each breath that you breathe is about 4,000, I'm sorry, each day you breathe is about 4,000 gallons of air. But if you dwell in the middle of a city, or if you were out in California where they have so much smog, just a comment about that. The Indians, long before civilization got there, the Indians called that area the area of smoke. 
It always fascinates me when they get into those discussions and say, we caused all this. The Indians said that was a valley of smoke long before the industry actually got there. But let's just say that you live in a major city and you're breathing in and out. You have to, to live, right? They say that you're breathing in and out 20 billion foreign particles per day. 20 billion foreign particles per day. You may be sitting here and saying, that's it, I'm never moving to a big city. Oh, I would imagine here in our own area that we also breathe in a lot of foreign particles. You're saying, well, you know, how do we get through that? I mean, smoke, dust, mold spores, pollen, you know that when they get into the plowing, a lot of times the mold kicks up and many of our sinuses just start itching and we go through all kind of frustration with that. How do we keep from choking on these particles? And the answer is that inside your lungs are what are known as cilia. Now, if you just looked at them, say, under a microscope or a picture, you'd say, well, those are hairs. And in fact, they're not. What they are is they're little, little bitty, they look like hairs, tiny little filaments. And each one of them has a little cup on the end. And what they are doing is they are capturing those particles as they go through with their moisture. They're capturing them, and then they're helping you to either cough them up or swallow them. You say, foreign particles, I don't want to be swallowing those. Oh no, here's another part of the amazing way your body is made. You have inside your uh, stomach those gastric juices, which basically take those things apart and it goes harmlessly out of your excretory system. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I've mentioned to you before uh, the book called More Than Meets the Eye by Richard Swenson. I remember the last time I mentioned this, some of you went out straight and got the book and started reading it and uh, thinking through it. It's a great book to read. I can uh, recommend it to our bookstore and even uh, mention it to you again. It, it is real. If you enjoy science and you enjoy seeing how the Lord has worked with many different science applications, it's a great book to read by Richard Swenson. Well, here's what he pointed out. He said, let me just give you a little glimpse of just how complex our bodies really are. The body contains between 10 and, tri- and 10 and 100 trillion cells, and each cell contains approximately a trillion atoms. Just let that one settle in. When you think about fearfully and wonderfully made for just a moment, think about that. These cells, like just about everything else in the body, are continually being torn down and remodeled. And then I love this illustration he used. He said, he said, think of it this way. If your body were a house and the house were the size of Texas, imagine knocking down the walls in a million rooms every second and hastily rebuilding them again with new materials. Every couple of days, we replace all the cells that line the intestine faster if we eat Mexican food. I mean, your body is really amazing that way in replacing those cells so quickly. And now you wonder, well, should I continue to eat Mexican food? That is between you and the Lord. My wife and I certainly enjoy it. Every couple of weeks, we replace all the cells of the skin. And where do you think all that house dust comes from? I've talked to you about this before. If you haven't uh, wiped down the dash on your car, I noticed here a while back, you know, and sometimes I think, just how dumb am I? I get in the car and I start coughing. And I'm like, what? You know, what's, what's going on? And then I finally started to slow down and look at all this dust that was on my dash. And it had been a while since I vacuumed the car and things like that. And notice, lo and behold, okay, if I go get the wet cloth and, and, and wipe it all down carefully and, and try to deal with that, hey, hello, duh, I quit, ta- I, I quit coughing. Well, here's what, the, here's what scientists tell you. Most of that house dust around you, it's actually old cells from your uh, skin cells that have just kind of flaked off. 
And, you know, that's the reason that we have to vacuum so often and uh, also vacuum our cars. So it just tells you this amazing creation that we are in. Swenson goes on to say, the mystery of cell functions is both stunning and inspiring. Science, medicine, they really, there's all kinds of things they don't understand about, about the body. Many of you may remember on the first Karaku trip, which I was not able to go on, got everything all ready. And I was just absolutely plagued by a very painful uh, something going on inside my, my stomach. And, and some of you, in, in intestines or stomach or something, some of you even noticed it when I would take a deep breath. I was going to, wanted to preach, and, I'd, and, I'd, and it would just kind of hit me. I mean, it hurt that bad. And we, I had no idea. I'd go to the doctor and say, what's going on? You know, and they did all kinds of tests you know, and gave me all the stuff you drink and you know, all the normal stuff. And nothing, nobody was coming up with anything. And I thought, what's going on? And people were praying. By the way, I still remember <laughs> one funny aspect of that. The only thing that gave me any relief whatsoever was to drink grape juice or eat chocolate. Now I ask you, would you like to have that kind of pain? You know, grape juice and chocolate. And, and there were people praying for me, and, and I, I thought, what is going on here? Lord, am, am I, am, I mean, is this the end of my life? And it was one Saturday afternoon. I was down in my, my office, and I was studying for the next day's message. And suddenly the pain went away. And, and I just sat there and thought, I'm not going to move right now because the, the pain's just not here. Thank you, Lord. And that's when I realized there's a whole lot of people praying for me right now. And I gingerly got up and started walking around and thought, hey, this is amazing. I mean, what, what happened here? So next doctor's visit, I think it was within a month or so, I was in there. I said, okay, doc, look, I'm a big boy. You can talk to me. You can tell me exactly what's going on here. If that was all in my head, tell me so, because I know how to fix that. If it was all in my head, tell me, so what's going on? He said, that wasn't all in your head. I said, how do you explain it? And he said, well, he said, there's all kinds of things as doctors we don't know about the human body. By the way, he used the word idiopathic. If your doctor ever says something is idiopathic, I-D-I-O-P-A-T-H-I-C, that's big doctor language for we don't know. I mean, that's what the word, that's what the word really means. And I realized then, you know, our bodies are, are so complex that even medicine doesn't really understand all kinds of things about it. But the Lord does. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Swenson makes the comment here that if you took the, the DNA out of a single cell, just one cell, it would stretch more than five feet. Now, part of the marvel of all this, when we talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made, and this is what comes out in Psalm 8 and also comes out in Hebrews chapter 2, is that the second person of the Godhead, knowing us, knowing the human beings who were made in the image of God, crowned with glory and honor, Hebrews chapter 2 tells you that the Son of Man, the Son of God, who is the Son of Man, he was born as a human being, and he was crowned with glory and honor. Why did he do that? Why would the perfect Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, why would he become a human being? And you know the answer. He became a human being to live that perfect record. The memory verse that we looked at uh, last week talked about the record. This is the record, 1 John says, 
He accomplished that perfect record for all of us, the perfect record of righteousness. When we sing his robes for mine, as the choir sang so beautifully just now, and we sing about that robe of righteousness, question, where did that righteousness come from? Was it that that God just happened to have some extra righteousness left over and he gave it to us? No, the answer is it's Jesus Christ's perfect righteous record that he accomplished as a human being. And then what he said was, I will change places with you. And he exchanged places for all those who would repent and call upon the name of the Lord. So yes, our physical bodies, the fact that we are created beings, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you begin to talk about the glories of salvation, that Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins, he was buried and he rose again the third day for our justification, Romans 4 says. When, when you see that, you begin to realize, wow, this creation is, it, it only pales in comparison to what it means to be a new creature in Christ. Just a little comment about that because there's more. In James 1.18, it says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, let me explain just for a moment. Think about what this means. When he says we're the first fruits of his new creation, if you will, what he's talking about, he's talking about the new heaven and new earth. In other words, when we sing, and I think it's going to be sung at Aretha's funeral, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When, when we talk about boy, it's heavenly right now. I mean, I, 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 even now the Lord has given me the joy of the Lord and helping me. That's a little indication of what it's going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth after all of creation is out from under the curse. And that's because of the curse reverser that is Jesus Christ himself. So what's fascinating about this passage, look at verse 14 again, and and we'll come back to the response there at the first phrase in just a moment. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. We've seen that already in illustrations. Now catch this phrase, and that my soul knows right well. Okay, It could be that what David is saying is this. Look, I've studied the scriptures. I've read the scriptures. I've understood what the scriptures say about me in a powerful way. And now my soul knows that right well. And I think, that's a, I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to look at that. But I think there's more. And you can see it over in Romans chapter 1. I mentioned it here in your manuscript, and you might want to turn over to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, because this is, this is the context of what is the gospel when he talks about the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But then he begins to explain, well, why is it that more people don't embrace the gospel? And obviously it's God's great generating work. It's his grace in the way that he's working in us. But look at what it says. And when you think about this phrase, my soul knows it right well, Romans 1, 18 and 19 puts it this way. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, it says in the King James, who hold, the idea is those who hold down, we probably use the word today, suppress, they are holding down the truth in unrighteousness. Just pause for a moment. Why, why are so many people today 
having to use and abuse substances. Why is that happening? And one of the big answers is there's guilt. Why is there so much guilt? Part of the answer is they're holding down the truth in unrighteousness. They're trying to suppress it. And they're not doing a very good job of it. And they need to abuse substances or something to try to get their minds off their guilt. Of course, Jesus Christ, if we go to Jesus Christ, we can go to him. We can be cleansed. We can wear that robe of righteousness. But that's part of the problem that's going on in our society. Now, catch what he says next. He says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it to them. If you looked in like Romans 2.15, it tells you that the law of God is actually written in man's heart. And those verses in Romans 1 go on to tell you that it's the invisible things of the creation. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. Here you are, a created human being. And as you observe the creation all around you, that creation is testifying to you as a created being. Exactly what David is saying here. And that my soul knows right well. I want to encourage you on those that you are witnessing to, on those you are trying to reconcile, to be persistent and and continue to try to reconcile them. Because have compassion on them, have pity on them, because what they're actually doing, though they may be really ugly and they may be towards you just, I mean, just argumentative and and you've never... Don't burn that bridge keep it open and watch what happens because what's actually happening is they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And glory to God, it may be the day will come when they actually are turning and repenting and calling out to the Lord for his grace. This whole message really helps us to bring into sharp focus what's going on with this matter of abortion in our society. Way down deep inside, even the most pro-abortion. By the way, they changed their terminology here a while back. They used to just say pro-choice. Now they are coming out. Planned Parenthood, they are coming out saying, no, we are pro-abortion. So I'm using their terminology today. They always refer to us as anti-abortion rather than pro-life, but now they're using the term pro-abortion. So these are people who are pro-abortion The Bible teaches that each and every one of them know way down deep inside that they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. There was an interview, I cited it here in the footnotes, and you can go and look. Abby Johnson was actually a Planned Parenthood director, and many of you have seen the the film that's been put together on this and seen her interviews. I, I footnoted one of her interviews there, so you can go and read And when she just realized she had been trying to just ignore it and just kind of keep on and say, you know, and the day came when she said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. Why? The guilt was too great. She wasn't able to do it. If Christians were to then lash out at her and say, well, you've been doing it for years and, and, you know, we want nothing. Do you, you understand what that would do to the ministry of reconciliation? It would destroy the ministry of reconciliation. The fact is, every one of us have to maintain that compassion. Every one of us have to keep that open reconciliation going on. There is an issue that is very prominent that comes out in our news articles and things like that. This this happens all the time. They will make the argument that if a child is conceived by an immoral act, 
Most of you know the violence, the, the word we would use for the violence of that sexual act, or they would say incest. They're arguing, well, well the child needs to be, the child needs to be taken. I, I just want you to think about that argument just for a moment. The person who committed that will probably get, in most states, will probably get about 20 years in prison. But what they are arguing is, is that the child should get the death sentence. Do you see that? That's what they're actually arguing. Yeah, this person over here did this, but the child should get the death sentence. The child should be put to death. And all you really have to do is go back in history and look at people like Jesse Jackson and people like Eartha Kitt and people like Beethoven, and and you go back and look at the situation in which they were born, sometimes under violent and immoral situations, and realize the contribution they've made to society. It begins, you just begin to realize, look, every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, but yeah, but I mean, look at, look at the way that all started. I mean, look at, look at the horror of it. Listen, Jesus was a Nazarene. When, when told Philip was talking to Nathaniel and Nathaniel said, oh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why did Jesus Christ choose to put himself, why did God the Father choose to put Jesus in such a situation? So that we would understand that he understands the worst of the worst, the the darkest cloud, the biggest cloud over each and every one of us. So do recognize that the right response here in verse 14 is that first phrase, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That ought to be the heart response of every one of us. It's one thing to go through these science illustrations and say that's nice. That's not where that's not where David stopped. He said, "Lord, I will praise you." That's the right response of every created human being is to come to the Lord and say, "Lord, I want to praise you." Whether it's a child in the womb or an older person in a hospice room, life is precious. And this knowledge of God's marvelous works ought to cause each and every one of us to praise the Lord. Why? Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In conclusion, could I ask you to go back to in the Psalms to Psalm 128. In our series on the Psalms of Ascent, there were certain ones we left out, and I'm still peddling pretty hard to try to uh, get some of those out to you and, and for you to be able to read. But look at the contrast, if you will, here between what's going on with the abortionist and, and the trouble in our society and the bloody men that Psalm 139 refers to, Look, if you will, at the contrast of a a family situation in which the people genuinely honor God. Listen to Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be. It shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be like a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall be the man blessed that fears the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion and shall see the good of Jerusalem all the days of his life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace be unto Israel. How blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk within his ways, enjoy the labors of their hands in goodness all their days, 
their families like fruitful vines will zealously attest, Behold the man who fears the Lord, for he is greatly blessed. The Lord bless him from Zion's hill and from Jerusalem, the blessings of new life in Christ who paid for all our sin, for he shall see God's greatest good in blessings all his days and see his children's children blessed with Israel's peaceful ways. Shall we pray together? Father, we do praise you and exalt you for this wonderful day in which we could praise you for life and remember the sanctity of life and remember why human life is so sacred. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to testify of Jesus. Help us to convey that to others. Help us to show them the glory of God and by your great matchless power, would you compel them with a mighty hand, Lord, to the place of repentance, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. Father, I ask this day that you would be truly magnified in helping us to testify of the glory of God, to testify of the value of life, and to have a good testimony in those around us, even as we raise our own families in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.